Today's episode 57 of the Trailblazers podcast is brought to you by the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. How do you quantify hope for black men and boys in America? Look no further than to the work of this episode's sponsor, the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, and how they invest in the nation's hometown heroes and local leaders working on the front lines to improve life outcomes for black men and boys, their families and communities. Visit tbpod.com slash blackmaleachievement to learn more about their amazing work in areas like high school excellence, BME health and healing strategies, using arts and culture as a tool for social change, and Rumble Young Man Rumble, their signature movement building gathering held at the Muhammad Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Today's show is a first of its kind. It's our very first panel discussion. Allow me to introduce Dr. Rochelle Williams, Dr. Carlotta Berry, and our first returning guest of the podcast, Dr. Monica F. Cox. So to tell you a little bit about Dr. Rochelle Williams, Dr. Williams is an advocate for women of color in STEM and the relevancy of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. She currently works as a research scientist in the office of the provost at Prairie View A&M University and has a bachelor's degree in physics from Spelman College and both her master's in engineering in mechanical engineering and a PhD in science and mathematics education from Southern University and AM College. Now, our second guest today is Dr. Carlotta Berry. Dr. Berry is an associate professor in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Rose Holman Institute of Technology. She has a bachelor's degree in mathematics and electrical engineering from Spelman College and Georgia Institute of Technology. She has a master's degree in electrical engineering from Wayne State University and a PhD in electrical engineering from Vanderbilt. Her research interests are in robotics education, interface design, human-robot interaction, and increasing underrepresented populations in STEM fields. And our last guest today is no stranger to Trailblazers podcast. We first heard Dr. Monica Cox on episode 10. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you definitely want to go back. Make sure you check out her episode when you finish listening to today's conversation. But for those of you who hadn't heard that episode, allow me to introduce Dr. Cox. She's a, a professor and chair in the Department of Engineering Education at The Ohio State University. She's also the founder and owner of Steminent LLC, a company focused on STEM education assessment and professional development for stakeholders in K-12 education, higher education, and corporate America. And she's most recently engaged in research exploring the persistence of women of color faculty in engineering. So you might be thinking, Stephen, why did you bring three powerful black women with engineering degrees onto the podcast? So listen up, my motivation stemmed from Dr. Monica Cox and I having a discussion about a month ago about the new movie in theaters now called Hidden Figures, starring Taraji P. Henson, Janelle Monet, and Octavia Spencer. Monica shared in a tweet some of what was real to her from the movie uh, that most of us as men and people outside STEM fields didn't get. And I thought... Many of you as black women who are in the STEM fields uh, could certainly relate to Monica. And so I invited Monica Rochelle and Carlotta to an open dialogue that hopefully fuels, begins to fuel a much broader conversation for women in STEM, more specifically within engineering space. This is an extremely powerful conversation. Help me here to share this episode in your schools, in your communities, your churches, your gyms, your libraries. Get young girls and boys, moms and dads listening to this conversation. Please help me to share this at your, your place of work with your colleagues. Get this out to everyone you know. One last comment in a full transcript of this conversation and all the show notes from today's conversation are available to you on our website at tbpod.com slash black stem figures. That said, let's go ahead and jump into today's panel discussion with our trailblazers, Dr. Rochelle Williams, Dr. Carlotta Berry, and Dr. Monica F. Cox. Hope you enjoy. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 
So let's do this. Before we get started, maybe if one of you would like to provide an overview of the movie and share what Hidden Figures is about and talk about the plot a bit, maybe for those who didn't watch the movie. I think that we can kind of provide um, just different perspectives about it. But in general, it's about three very powerful African-American women who engaged in um, science, technology, engineering and math elements um, at Langley in Hampton, Virginia at NASA. And they brought their various perspectives, their backgrounds and love of mathematics together to help with um, human space exploration, particularly with um, John Glenn and his his flight in the 1960s. So which character did each of you most identify with in the movie? I am Mary Jackson all the way. (laughs) <laughs> I am Janelle Monet's character. Although I'm young, I feel like I just always have this desire and this burning sensation just to always go for what's always told me that's not possible. I mean, there are even situations in the movie when she walked into the classroom after she got awarded the court order to take this night class and she everyone's looking at her like, what are you doing here? You know, I can relate to that story. In 2005, when I was pursuing my PhD at a predominantly white institution, I walked into a graduate level physics course. And the first question someone asked was, are you in the right class? So I think seeing that moment played on screen, I think that's when my tears started because it was like, wow, like some of us are still going through the same things these women went through 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago to break down barriers. I think that I probably identify the most with the main character um, that Taraji played, um, Katherine Johnson. And I think it's probably because similar to what Rochelle said, that a lot of times you feel like people do kind of question your credentials and they don't understand the value that you bring to the team. I think it took a while for them to realize just how important she was. If you think about one of her coworkers in the movie, he would constantly question her credentials and what she could do. And he gave her the red acted document and asked her to do the calculations and she's holding it up to the light and she's finding mistakes through all of those obstacles. And I think that that really resonated a lot with me because we deal with that a lot where people will question your credentials and are you here because of affirmative action or because someone gave you a step up or a favor and it takes a while before they can actually recognize the value that you bring to the team. Yeah, and this is Monica and I wanted to just kind of point out the first person was Rochelle, the second person was Carlotta and I can relate to the Dorothy Vaughn character because I am kind of bossy um, as you can tell (laughs) even from me wanting to clarify that kind of. Uh, a little bit. Yes. I will say I'm orderly. I am I am a leader. Let's just call it that. Yes, that is your ministry. You are the leader. Thank you so much. And exactly. And I just am the one who will go out, I think, before other people and try and question things and do whatever it takes to make sure that the people around me are taken care of and that their voices are heard. You know, I could completely understand the daily frustrations that Dorothy Vaughn had by doing a job that she didn't have a formal title to do, yet she continued to do it because she understood the impact that her work would have on those close to her. Um, I also really appreciated in the movie her kind of stealing the book, the Fortran book. And although many people say that's thievery and that's just kind of dishonest, I think that it shows more her her foresight and her ability to engage uh, in a way that other people weren't able to understand. Um, So I just think that's normal. You do what you have to do to be a leader and to make sure that you are pursuing your passion in your, your ministry, as Rochelle said. The interesting thing I thought that you all attended Spellman and have this love for engineering. Can you speak to that? I can start. This is Carlotta. I I think what Spelman did for me, because every school I went to after Spelman was a majority school, is it really helped to build me up and build that foundation and give me that sense of self-awareness that I could carry into any classroom, similar to what Rochelle said. After going to a place like Spelman, where your professors were invested in your success and they knew your name and they nurtured you, I could walk into a room and be the only woman or the only person of color and have somebody question while I'm there and sit down with confidence to know that I was going to be successful. I think an experience at an HBCU, that's what it does for you and gives you those opportunities to go in those other places, even when the doors are closed. Yes, and I'll add and say, you know, the one thing that I 
I really despise for people to say is that when you go to an HBCU, you don't get a real world experience. And to those people, I'll tell them I've traveled around the world with these HBCU degrees and I have had deans and college presidents have to explain themselves to me for in order for me to do something for them. So I want young girls to know if you want to go to Spelman, if you want to go to Southern, if you want to go to any HBCU out there, Prairie View, go. It's not going to stop any door from opening for you as long as you do the work and you continue to do the work that you're supposed to do in order to get to where you want to be. Yes, love that. And I just want to add one quick thing about Spelman, too, because I came from a very rural environment and Spelman was great for me because it was a place where I did see a lot of black women who were doing um, amazing work in in STEM. Um, We didn't have engineering at Spelman because it's a liberal arts school, but this was a wonderful foundation for me because one of the first um, women to obtain a degree in a Ph.D. in mathematics in the country was there and she mentored so many people, Dr. Faulkner, I think all of us maybe engage with her at some point. But although we see people in the movies who seem to be um, these unicorns, so to speak, at Spelman, we had an opportunity to see people every day who had these amazing aspirations and wonderful experiences, much like the women in the movie. Talking about the movie, let's, let's jump to that, right? What stood out most for each of you in the movie? Um, I thought that it was interesting to see just how isolating the experiences were for the women. Um, Although you knew that things were different back in the day, we knew about segregation and about some of the complexities of of being, I guess, a woman or being black in in a predominantly white environment, just to be reminded of the discrimination and some of the barriers that people had to overcome throughout the movie in so many different ways. I think that was the thing that stood out, just this recurrent theme right. of, um, of overcoming. Right. I think the thing that resonated the most with me is that how much people were resistant to seeing your value. You know, I even thought about the fact that they called them calculators, a calculator being like a, an inanimate object. And even once, you know, she was able to show her value and, you know, what she could bring to the team and what she knew. It's like they just wouldn't see us. It's kind of like this isolation or marginalization is just so strong that they were resistant to it until they couldn't deny it anymore because they didn't have anyone else on the team who could do what she did. So at that point, they had to look at her and they had to see her and value what she did. And I'll add to that by saying sisterhood. To me, that. That meant more to me than anything, just seeing how these women were truly there for one another. And I know I would not be where I am today had it not been for best friends and line sisters who loved me through the hardest times in my life, which were getting these degrees. So, Rochelle, from your perspective, what was real? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, growing up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church. You know, I knew who he was, but you know how you always are told, like, you can't rely on your grandmother's Jesus or your your mom's Jesus. Like, you have to come to know him for yourself. To me, that's when I came to really understand the role of faith in my life. And so for engineering, it's something I've always wanted to do. So there are only two things I, I am very sure of in this world when I was young. And that was I wanted to be an engineer and I wanted to go to Spelman. And it's because of faith that I even made it that far. I have amazing parents who uh, who made sacrifices that I probably will never be able to articulate. And they allowed me to do everything I ever wanted to do. So for me, engineering has been real because I love numbers. I love science. I love figuring things out. I love problems. But faith has like really made it real for me just the faith to know that tomorrow is going to be better because of something I'm doing today. When I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt, I used to always say, if I end up getting this doctorate after six years, it's going to be from the grace of God because there is nothing in me that would merit me getting this far either. Um, One thing I I share with a lot of people is I come from a line of teachers. My mother is a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher, but they didn't know what an engineer was. They didn't know what STEM was. No one understood why I was in school so long past high school and they could value and be proud of what I was doing, but I didn't have role models. A lot of times when I'm at 
work. A lot of my coworkers will talk about their dad was an engineer or their uncle was an engineer or they grew up playing with televisions, taking them apart and all that. I didn't have that experience. As people of color, we don't get that. So that was always real to me is that I'm actually walking in a space that I never saw anyone else walk in. It's kind of like stepping out and not knowing whether the, the bridge or is actually there. And, and that's always been real to me. And because we're still trailblazers, even to this day, it may not be like the characters in the movie, but everything we do, we don't know if anyone else has, has made that journey before us. Right. And Stephen, I want to just point out something, just a connection from what I'm hearing from Rochelle and Carlotta, is that although we're talking about the 1960s and and the book, um, the original book also goes back even before that, it's sad to think that we have the same situations that are kind of going on today. The women who you saw in that in the, the movie and who were portrayed had, um, they were pioneers, but why do we still have pioneers in 2017? Like in the same way, why are we still breaking those barriers and what happened between that time and this time so that we didn't have more people who are visible? I just think these are questions that we need to think about and maybe we can address, address a little bit more in the future. I kind of want to get into the support that you see. In the movie, you see that um, Catherine's mom was very supportive and that eventually her husband began to understand what she was doing. But I think that that is something that is important. If you're going to be in a stressful um, situation or if you're going to be in a profession like this, you need to understand that um, the people around you help to either lift you up or, or tear you down. And that's really important in a personal perspective, whether it's your spouse um, you know, siblings, etc. So that was very real, the relationships and the community that happens at work, but also that happens in your personal life. Have you guys seen this movie more than once? I've seen it yes. three times. <laughs> yeah, twice for me. I feel that way. You know, I, I'm wanting to go back and see it again. And what, what specific scenes resonated most? For me, it was actually the the bathroom scene, the one where, you know, she would leave for 45 minutes every day to go to the bathroom oh my gosh. and she would come back and he would say, where are you going? And why are you taking all these breaks? And once again, to me, that, that reflected on things that we go through that our colleagues and our peers just have no clue about, you know, they, you know, they feel like when they see you, you're going through the same experiences they are, but they don't understand. I am running faster, jumping higher, doing everything you're doing it, and I'm doing it and going a mile to the bathroom and back every day. And so that it was that it was that scene that resonated the most with me. And I'll say outside, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it was the Mary Jackson walking into the classroom scene for the first time. Nice. But even when her shoe got caught in the wind tunnel. Like that stuck out to me because I will never forget. I went to the high school for engineering professions in Baton Rouge and I was on a school bus and I always, you know, we always tried to make sure we dress nice to go to school. And one of the senior ladies said to me, she was just like, you should always remember who you are. Don't get caught up because you want to be an engineer thinking that you have to conform to what people want you to look like or be. If you want to wear heels every day, wear heels every day. And then she was like, that's what's going to make you an outstanding black woman, because you can do both. You can be smart and you can look great and you can dress well and you can enjoy your life while doing it. And so when I saw her shoe get caught in that wind tunnel, it made it brought me back to that conversation of, you know, we have to be smart and look good and do all these other things. But sometimes it's to the detriment of the goal we're trying to get to. And so that one stuck out to me just because of that flashback to that conversation in high school. And I want to build upon what Carlotta said. Um, when Catherine was breaking down in the room in front of her colleagues and with her boss when she got called out, I think that was something that was very important because I've often noticed that we as black women um, engage in like we have these microaggressions and someone will say something to you and you kind of push pull it, you know, to the to the back of your mind. But I think that there are breaking points. And if you look at various scenes within the movie, you'll see times when someone showed their true personality. You know, we try to um, be professional and, and I think that we do a great job. But there are times when you're pushed and you kind of show a little bit of your real self and your thought because you have gotten to a point where you don't want to take whatever it is that's coming at you anymore. And I think that's something that was very subtle in the movie, but very real in the movie, too. 
And very real, Monica, because those situations happen. And before we can even react, I feel like there are 50 million questions that go through our heads in like a matter of seconds because we don't want to be labeled the angry black woman. So it's like we have to figure out how do we even address this in a way that's not going to make everyone think that we're this type of way. But at the same time, be very justified in how we are feeling in that moment because of what you've done to me. Right. And I think you also get to a point where if you've been in a situation long enough and things have been happening to you, you then say, I have to speak up because I cannot be this person. I cannot suppress this anymore because I know that this is going to be a detriment to my health and to something that's more important to me long term. And I think that's why it's so important that we do things like this podcast, because there are people who could be allies and advocates for us. But because a lot of times we don't, as Rochelle said, say anything because we have to be strategic about what we do and don't say, they can't really advocate for us because they don't even understand our experiences. It's kind of like walking a day in our shoes. They they just don't have any idea because of these microaggressions and you just cannot fight every battle. So sometimes if you don't say anything, people don't realize, well, hmm, maybe that wasn't really appropriate, you know. Right. And I, and I want to bring up one other thing that I have heard in other podcasts. People were talking about the Kevin Costner character and then um, the engineer with Mary Jackson, who were like the great white hopes. Like, oh, why are they the great white hopes? And if you kind of think about engineering, it is a predominantly white and a predominantly male um, environment. And many times white males are in the positions of power, um, particularly maybe at predominantly white institutions or, or organizations, and you do want them to be your advocates. You know, I've seen it over time, and I can even say in my position as an administrator, the my direct supervisors are people who are very aware of the issues that I face as a Black woman administrator and faculty, and they're the ones who explicitly call out issues, particularly with my colleagues and peers who would try to um, minimalize who I am and what I, what I do as a professional. So I completely agree that you need to have people who don't look like you, who are in positions of power and who speak up for you right. in engineering. Wow, there's so much. I, I feel like you're probably going to have a lot more people watching this movie again. Just looking at all these nuances, is there anything else that you think continues to be talked over in the media and non-STEM venues that you, you want to bring up? I think one thing that um, resonated with me also thinking of Janelle Monae's character is that she wanted to be an engineer. And when the guy asked her, you know, um, would you already be one? She said, I would already be an engineer. I can't remember exactly the way she, she framed it. But a couple of years ago, there was this hashtag on Twitter that went viral that talked about hashtag I look like an engineer. And it was based upon this campaign where this young lady had been um, in a marketing campaign for her company as a software engineer. And people said, yeah, right. That's the model. She's not really an engineer. And I think a lot of it is us walking out there and people looking at us and going, hey, you actually do look like an engineer. You're like a STEM professional, which means we have a serious marketing problem. And therefore, we have a recruiting problem. We can't bring more young women and people of color to the field because people still look at us when we walk in a room and question, well, should you be here? Are you here because of some special allowances made for you? So I think that's another big one as well um, that resonated with me because of the movie. Another point that I wanted to bring up about that, Carlotta, is just um, something that I've heard where people would say that there was a lot of laughter. It was too fun. You know, the movie uh, should have been more serious because these are women who are going through really terrible times. And when I heard that on a podcast, I thought we actually laugh like to get through what we do as women, as, as black women engineers. We have to have fun. We have to have outlets because we're not serious all the time. And I think that there's also this other piece, going back to what Carlotta said too, where there are stereotypes. There are stereotypes within our own communities and there are stereotypes, I think, in I mean, outside of our community, particularly our prof professional communities. So it's as if we don't fit in. You know, as you, as you get more educated, um, sometimes people question who you are. Well, you think you're all that. You think that you know something. You're trying to act a certain way. You have a PhD, but then there are other people who are kind of in this country club of academia who say you have a PhD but you have to you have to prove that you belong here mm. so where do we belong and you know to to Carlotta's point earlier I'd love to ask you know because it wasn't just people outside of our community in the movie that questioned them Janelle Monet's character her husband questioned her doing engineering degree right as well as 
Taraji P. Henson's character when she told him what she did and he kind of questioned that. Do you find that you get that from men, black men, who also oh. question your your role? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm single now because of that, yes. Wow. Oh, yes. Talk about I, that, Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and another piece of this is, you know, mental health for black women because we deal with a lot. And I don't think I've been able to even articulate like how much of my personal life has been affected until I started going to therapy. So that's something I don't think women should ever be ashamed to say, because until we start to say, you know what, I go to therapy once a week. I see a counselor. I'm able to talk this out. Other women are going to understand and be empowered to know they can do those same things, too. But back to being single, I was dating someone and even though they supported me, they they really didn't understand what I was going through. They when I would have these conversations, it would just be like a brush off like, oh, you're just you know, you're thinking too much about it or it wasn't that serious of a situation. And when you don't have someone who can fully appreciate what you are going through, it makes it very difficult. I mean, yeah, it makes it very difficult to take that person seriously and want to move forward with somebody. Right. And so I found that it's very difficult being that I was traveling so much to find someone who was okay with that, someone who's okay with if I want to move to France and work on assessment or continuous improvement and help their accreditation systems, or if I want to just quit my job in Baltimore and pack everything and move to Texas because I feel like I can make more of an impact at an HBCU than I can in the nonprofit policy arena, then I want to do that. And I think maybe it's a lot of it is me still wanting to do things that I want to do. But a lot of it is also how do I find someone that I'm a good fit with who will understand this is the type of life I choose to have. Right. On behalf of black men everywhere, I apologize for that behavior. You know, I'm, I'm married to an incredibly smart woman who probably makes almost double what I earn. And I appreciate that. I love that. I'm her biggest fan. And believe that, you know, at some point she's going to run the company she's with, right? So hang in there. The right guy just hasn't, God God is, is working on another guy for you. So you're, you're single for a reason right now. So Stephen, after the show, we're going to have you connect some of your friends um, with her. So. <laughs> no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to, the, I will not, no. <laughs> I was going to jump in and, and Stephen sure. and also say that, you know, it's it's dating relationships. I'm married, so it's it's my husband, but it's also just family and friends who, who can never really understand what you do. You know, when I tell people that I work in excess of 60 hours per week, they just can't relate and they just don't understand that because it's a paradigm shift for them because in their mind, a job is eight to five, Monday through Friday, you work 40 hours a week. So some of it is self-imposed because I'm maybe a little bit of a workaholic, but some of it is also because of the career path that we've chosen. And it's like that jump um, higher, run faster thing I told you about before is I just cannot afford to take my foot off the gas and see what happens. I have to be in control of this situation. So it's, it's hard. And, and I know I've been in, in Rochelle's shoes and she can find someone who absolutely values everything that she would contribute to her professional career as well as a, a, per, a personal relationship. But it's educating people to understand what we do and how important right. it is. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, too, that it's really important for a person to know what she's looking for prior to even connecting with someone. Um, in the previous podcast that, that Stephen mentioned earlier, I talked about my husband and how supportive he is. But one thing that I've learned over time is that I do have to make deliberate efforts to separate kind of my work from my personal life because I have to develop my relationship, too. You know, I have to shut some things off although it's easy for me to work all of the time. Um, just because balance, although people may say it's not real, um, it's something that in a profession like this, you have to deliberately try to, to have. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think a lot of it um, for me has been, 
I just love what I do. Like, I love going to work every day. I love trying to solve this problem about how do we get more black women into engineering. Like, I love that. And so... So do you relate I to know it's Octavia's the, I do. character? Yeah, and sure? I, it's just like, I, I know I have to work on how do I put my personal life into that love equation too. Mm. So question, you know, as, as you touch on that, I can probably relate your comment just now to what Octavia's role did in the movie, uh, you know, supporting and, and bringing so many women along on this, on this journey. I'm definitely, there's a part of me in every single one. Yeah. But I'm finding the more I figure out who I am, I do see a lot of myself also in Octavia's role. And it really goes back to what Monica mentioned earlier. It's just, I know that my purpose is to support others. I don't think I'll ever be the one to run something because it's not my desire, but it is my desire to help you get to where you want to be. It is my desire and my purpose to help you figure out how do we get something done? How do we solve this problem and get it done? I've never had to be in the forefront to make something happen. But give me all the variables and I'm going to solve this problem and I'm going to get you where you need to be. Monica, I know you're you're Dorothy Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But, you know, I was thinking about it, too. And I, and I was kind of thinking about each character as it relates to maybe a part of the body, um, just because I do think that, you know, uh, Janelle was kind of... Um, or Catherine, rather, was focused on a lot of the mental space, uh, the, the mental pieces, you know, the calculations. I also look at the fire that Mary Jackson had. You know, she was a mouth, maybe, um, you know, just always speaking up and challenging the system and just putting her her words in action to challenge the, the system itself. And then I think Dorothy was somewhat of the legs. You know, she was the person who went forward and made sure that the execution occurred. You know, she was going to uh, program the, the IBM computer when other people weren't there. And she just stayed one step ahead so that everyone else could follow too. And I just think each of those ladies represents characteristics that all of us need to have as women in this field to be successful. Oh, you better say that word, Monica. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say um, what I think about a lot is, and this this was actually a quote, a scripture that I used to, to quote a lot when I was in graduate school, to whom much is given, much is required. And um, since my research area is robotics, I like to tell people a lot that it's not just a technical research for me, but it's also a recruiting tool for me. So I do a lot of things with K through 12 related to robotics because I think it's a wonderful hook to bring more young people into the STEM fields. Right. And I think a lot of what I do is because of Spellman and the fact that I know the value of sisterhood and reaching back to bring someone else along and that if we are ever going to change the face of this profession to reflect the world in which we live in, to have the diversity in it that is a diversity that we see every day, then it is just so important. And so because of that, I related the most to Dorothy and the fact that she didn't just steal the book from the library, but she went back to work and read it to everyone else and taught them how to program the computers late into the middle of the night, so much so that eventually her boss had to recognize, can you teach these other folks how to do it too? Yes. So I, I just think that's so important. And I think a, as women of color in this field that is um, predominantly white male, um, that is so important that you can't just say, well, I got mine now you go get yours. We just can't have that attitude. And you know what, that brings up another point from a podcast that I heard, because people who are not engineers were just wondering, how can someone do that? Is that real? No one's going to go and after five o'clock, spend time learning how to program to help someone out. That's not realistic. And Stephen, that's when I was thinking about you also, you know, with this podcast, because that is real. You do what you have to do to get the job done. Yes. And that's what I need people to know. It's more than a movie. There are people who are in libraries right now, in laboratories and in places taking care of business to make sure that STEM is advanced in this country. And it's a Saturday. Right, because isn't that a part of our accreditation in engineering, <laughs> lifelong learning? So, I mean, this is it's nothing new for us. This is what we do. Right. How important is community for women who are who are the first, right? And and maybe even the only in their professions. 
I think this is Carlotta. I think it is extremely important because um, most jobs I've had, including before I was a professor, even when I worked as an engineer, I was one of maybe two or three or none. Like now I'm the only woman of color at my school who does what I do. So having that community, one, so you can talk to someone and go, am I crazy or did I really sense this? Did this really happen? And also Mm -hmm. for people to give you coping strategies. So, you know, sometimes you say, well, you know, I walked in class one day and the student asked me if I was really a doctor. Do you think they ask other people that? And somebody goes, girl, yes, that has happened to me as well. So sometimes having that community of people who understand what you've gone through to support you and to hold your arms up when they get tired, hold your arms up when you get tired. You know, I think that's really important. Yeah. And for me, community has always kept me grounded. Like it has always reminded me why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. Yeah, and I think community also motivates you. It propels you to the next level because I have seen other people who are in positions of power and are making changes and they're the first in what they do, whether it's a position higher than mine or if it's an area that's different from mine. And then that helps me to know I can move forward too. If they did it, I can do it. And if I have questions about how to do what they're doing, then I can do that also. So ladies, let's discuss in a a little bit more detail maybe how this movie translates to real life. What are the main takeaways from a science, technology, engineering, and mathematics perspective, STEM perspective? I'll go first. This is Carlotta. Since I am a professor, I think mine translates into, I want people to see this as fun. When I tell people what I do, that I teach engineering, they're like, oh, that's for nerds. That sounds so boring. So I feel one of my life missions is to help people to see how exciting it is what I, that I do, that I'm not nerdy, that I'm actually personable. I'm warm. I'm friendly. Unlike Rochelle, I'm definitely not a girly girl. I don't do the heels. I don't do the, the cute skirts and all that. But I want you to know that I'm real and I'm an engineer and I'm not Sheldon or anyone else. I'm not Dilbert. I'm not any of that. I want to totally break the mold and make them understand why I do what I do. And I want to make it so exciting that you go, I want to do that too. I think that's really important. Love it. Rochelle, what's your response to that? You know, I'm just going to sit here and twirl my hair and twirl my skirt (laughs) on that note. But... To me, it's all about perseverance. You know, the hard work you do when you're tired of doing the hard work you've already done. And I want people to know that if you want to do it, you can flip and do it. Like, it's not easy by no means, but it's possible. And there are women out here who have paved the way to make this happen so that you too can do it. Yeah, and I just want to add that leadership to me is is a high form of activism. So often we think that activism is just protesting in the streets or starting some other kind of movement. But I think that STEM is a, is a movement within itself because we are behind the scenes making major decisions about our future and about innovation and about who will lead those innovations. And I just want people to see the bigger picture of what we are doing. And delayed gratifi- gratification is definitely something that's a part of STEM education. Um, just speaking about higher education, we have, I mean, it's a hierarchy and bureaucracy, And you have to do your time. But what I've seen is if you do your time and if you do what you do well, then you begin to have a voice. You have a seat at the table and you're making the decisions that are changing what goes on. And that's something that I want people to know, too. Are black women in STEM hidden? (laughs) They are and they aren't. And I'll give you an example about that. Um, I, I was in an interview with a student who was so amazed at some of the things that we're talking about here. And I told her, I know at least 50 black women. If you gave me a piece of paper, I could write down the names of 50 black women now who are in STEM, who are doing phenomenal work, who probably have PhDs. And I think that I know people in that community and and Rochelle and Carlotta may know them, but they're hidden to the average person for whatever reason. And I think that comes back to branding. It comes back to our being so focused often on our work and trying to do a good job in the communities where we are, the professional communities. And we sometimes don't disseminate information in ways that people who will never come to our environment can understand what we do. 
I think I agree with what Monica is saying. I think it's it's a mainstream issue. A lot of we all know each other because we're all part of that support network and that community that we talked about earlier. So we know each other because we support each other through this process. But because we're in the STEM fields, we are not well educated or well versed on how do you market yourself? How do you brand yourself? How do you um, we had a workshop some years ago that Monica and I attended that talked about branding. And, you know, we really are thought leaders and we need to share our work on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media platforms. And that was absolutely foreign to the people in the room because we publish in technical journals. We go to technical conferences. But if we're going to change the face of what we do, we have to break out of those traditional pathways and get ourselves on television shows about engineers and and things like that. And we just don't think to do that. So that's what makes us hidden. Not to mention that we're so um, spread out all over the country, that marginalization and isolation. There may be one in this pocket and one in that pocket. How do we all come together? We're never going to be in a critical mass somewhere that people would see. Yes. Right. Unless we're at a technical conference. Exactly. <laughs> right. Mainstream people won't see that. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> but I, I mean, I always tell people we are competing with basketball wives and the real housewives. No shade because I love those shows. But um, <laughs> that's the reality. Like we need to put ourselves on those type of levels. I remember that the National Academies was working at one point for the new MacGyver to be a woman. I don't know what happened with that, but that's how we need to start making this visible to people. I don't think we're hidden in any way because, like Monica said, we can rattle off 50, probably even 100 women that are doing the things in their respective fields. But it goes back to how do I carve out that time to make sure that I have a social media presence, that I have a web presence so that people will start to see that we do exist you know, exactly. I'll tell you, I'm I'm in the marketing profession, and you guys are touching on so you ladies are touching on something that is real to me. There are so many people that have approached me in the podcasting space about being guests on the podcast, and I'll jump off, and they'll say, you know, I'm the go-to person for this, and this goes even beyond STEM, right? But speaking to black professionals in general. You know, they'll say, hey, I'd love to be a guest and I'll jump off and I'll Google them. I'll Google Monica Cox. Right. And I mean, nothing comes up. Uh-uh, hold it now. That's not true. Not you see, you see awesomeness. Don't use my not. name as an example. We're going to say you Google Jane Doe. <laughs> uh-uh. Don't document yes, that statement. <laughs> right. Because please know if you ask Monica who she is, she's going to say Google me. Yes. And I tweet every day. Thank you. Thank you. But see, here's the fun in that. I'm the one that reached out to Monica. Monica had a Twitter presence that called out to me. And when Monica and I connected, right, I was I was blown away. She even responded to me. Monica has such a presence online. Right. So there are so many people who don't have that. Right. And, you know, we'll we'll throw out the Jane Doe. But oftentimes, you know, that Jane Doe reaches out to to trailblazers and says, well, I'd love to share my story. And they have a very, you know, amazing story to share. But the people who would be in my community or any other media community that wants to follow you post-episode, post-podcast, post-TV show, has no way to connect with you if you don't have a social right. presence, if you don't have a web, a website that's inviting and, and actually presents you as this go-to figure, right? So there's... It, there's so much to be said for making sure that you have the right brand presence, uh, you know, to, to represent you beyond your uh, employer, right? If you're working right. for academia or a corporate America, you know, making sure that you have your own presence beyond that, that, that showcases your strengths. But you know what, too, Stephen? Excuse me. There's another part where I think that what we do begins to feel normal, like you don't know how to document what you do because it sometimes feels like this is just what other people do every day. And when you happen to see someone who's outside of your field, that person says, oh, that's amazing. Like you get to do this. You get to go to conferences. You travel to Barcelona. You presented in this way or you graduated a Ph.D. student. You know, we appreciate what we do, but because we're around so many other people who do the same thing, I think we forget to identify how unique that is and to kind of look at it from a historical perspective. Because if you look at it, Hidden Figures was created based upon a book 
And that book documents the history. But how many books do we have that documents the history of all of the hidden figures that we would talk about? How many books never were because they didn't document? Exactly. Let me ask you, do you find that engineering is any more hidden than the other sectors of STEM? Do you think that engineering has more visibility or less visibility? So in medicine, we don't really see the problem of women not being able to pursue this like they we see it in engineering. Like we have millions upon millions of dollars being put into the retention and inclusion of women and women of color into engineering. But you don't see that same issue in medicine. You see women working to become doctors and to become dentists. So it's like, what's special about medicine where they don't have to worry about these focused recruitment efforts like we see it in engineering? And I think that's a lot of this problem that we need to figure out. Like, what's wonderful about medicine and what's not appealing about engineering? Be careful Doc McStuffins comes on and, and feels like you're throwing shade. No, it's not at all because, you know, I want us all to win. Right. But I really want us to win in engineering, too, and it's yes. because I love it. Yes. Yes. I'm going to tell you what I think it is, Rochelle. I think people see the medical profession or doctors as sexy. You know what I mean? So when you meet somebody and they're like, I'm a medical doctor, you're like, ooh. Whereas if you meet someone and you tell them you're an engineer, they go, what's that? I don't know what an engineer is. I hated math in school. Is that a lot of math? You know, it doesn't get that. It's a stigma on engineering that's that's not on the medical profession per se. You know, people are in awe of you if you say you're a medical doctor, but if you're an engineer, I I teach engineering and I have students to select that profession because their parents told them we make a lot of money and that's what they need to be. And they're sitting in engineering school and don't know what an engineer does. So it's a marketing problem. It all comes back to a marketing problem. No, I mean, they have Grey's Anatomy. Like you said, yep. Doc McStuffin, there was CSI. So what do we have promoting women in engineering on the mainstream? Exactly. And I, I just wanted to kind of add, too, that um, just a personal experience is that I've, I'm, a, of course, a department chair. And my assistant was saying that even some um, construction workers were coming in and I was not in my office. But my assistant was saying that, oh, you need to wait until the chair comes back to go in and, and fix this issue. And the person said, well, let me know when he comes back. Uh And my assistant was amazed because my name is on the door, but he said he, like when he's here, we will, you know, we'll come back and do what we need to do. And I think that's something too. There are such stereotypes that people can't even get over the fact that someone may be young or they may be a woman or they may be black in this profession too. I think one of my favorites is I spend a lot of time grading, obviously, and I've done it like at the car repair place or on an airplane or or even at my daughter's basketball game last night. And people will always see me doing that and go, are you a student? Are you in college? Are you in high school? No, I teach. Oh, you teach high school? No, I teach college. Well, what what do you teach? I teach engineering. Really? Yeah. But the assumption, you know, it's always first, you must be a student because you can't possibly be educating somebody yeah. when they see me marking up papers, you know. So it, it's just interesting. And it, all, like I said, it all comes to marketing. Um, and so I, I take that time to educate them about what I do, how I do it, how rare we are and how we need to not be so rare, all of that. Even when black don't crack, you know, we face <laughs> ageism a lot. And like Carlotta said, people don't take us seriously because they think that we're students. Right. And it also gets back to even going beyond teaching, because that's the thing that a lot of people think about engineering, too, that you're just, you know, kind of a teacher. So or even being a professor, what do you teach? But they don't understand that people can also do research. They can also be administrators and that we are often expected to do multiple, um, multiple things as engineers, too particularly within academia. So that is one disclaimer too. You know, we are talking about this from an academic perspective and being professors and engineers and women and black. I love this conversation. We were talking about this offline, but I'm going to just speak this into existence. You women need a podcast. (laughs) Yes. This is an amazing. Two snaps on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about this, this visibility of black women in engineering. How do black women in STEM become more visible? I think the movie's a great beginning. 
um, I think that that brought a lot into the mainstream of conversations. Like if you just look on your Facebook thread of people going, man, I didn't know anything about that. I, I got so many people who tagged me on the trailer said, you've got to go see this. The first person I thought about was you. Because although Monica said, we don't like being referred to as unicorns, to a lot of my family and friends, I am a unicorn. I'm the only one they know like this. So when this movie came out, they were like, that's you. That's who you are. You know, so so we actually have to get more things like that into the mainstream. So I think not only do we need a podcast, but the three of us need to get a production company and make some more movies and make some television shows. I agree because it seems that we are not connecting with the Hollywood types. You know, I do see people, I don't want to name their names because uh, Stephen, you know, as soon as I try to start some deal with someone, they're going to be like, didn't you just diss like Shonda Rhimes? Didn't you just diss, you know, Ava DuVernay or something? No, I'm not dissing them. I'm just saying that I don't know anyone who knows them. And, you know, we don't run in the same circles. And I think that we need to get out of our comfort zones and somehow connect. So where is our larger conference, our larger platform where we bring together people who are at the peaks of their profession, not just in STEM or not just in Hollywood, not just in marketing, but we are there together and we're there as equals to say, we recognize that you're amazing in what you do, but we're coming into this place naked and we're trying to figure out how we can now build something that elevates our people and our communities and puts the egos aside. Because that's another issue too. We are all important in our own eyes, but we need to learn how to recognize the importance of other people and other groups too, and work together to build something greater. Thanks, Monica, for, for that. Okay. Carlotta touched on this earlier about making things fun, right? Uh, what can we do to change the public image of STEM to increase the number of girls and children of color who go on to pursue careers in STEM? I think, this is Carlotta again, I think we really have to give people things in palatable, small bites. In other words, yeah, there's a lot of calculus and physics and all these really overwhelming technical concepts related to engineering, but we have to break it down into some bite-sized chunks that people can understand. Help them to relate to something that they do every day and go, hey, you know that's engineering you're doing right there, right? You know you're doing a little bit of science right now. I, I think that's really important because what happens is, speaking of a marketing problem, is a lot of people get turned off from the science and math fields because of an experience in elementary school. Having a teacher who doesn't understand math trying to teach you math. Oh, I hate math. No, you just didn't like the way it was taught to you. So I think a big part of that is learning how to translate these things into terms that the common man can understand. Right. And you have to meet people where they are, too. I think if you look at what a lot of people are interested in, particularly if I talk about women, little girls think about uh, fashion or they may think about uh, their their hair or hair care, beauty. And that's engineering too. There are elements of engineering in that. And so how do we somehow identify problems that we engage, that, that we have, whether it's, um, Rochelle, we've talked about this, humidity, like hair in the South, um, you know, that's, that's engineering. How do you combine, um, you know, chemistry and how do you look at ways to combat that so that it helps people? Like we need to look at the real world application in our communities and say, you can change people, you can change lives in a new way and do it where you can make money too. Another viewpoint is just that informal hands-on learning. I fell in love with engineering in second grade because my mom put me in a model rockets class. So every weekend I went to this class and we just built model rockets. And from there, I was like, I was hooked. And to see the progression. So at first, I'm just building rockets. I have no concept of any physics or math behind it. But as I get older and start going into other engineering camps, like by the time I was in fifth grade, I'm learning the physics behind building a model rocket. I'm learning about drag and force and the equations that go along with it. And that's what carried me throughout my entire K through 12 career. So I think it's meeting people where they are and giving them something tangible to touch. Because as you get older and as you mature in the profession of engineering, things become more abstract. So whatever you can touch at a young age, I think that makes a huge difference in someone wanting to have that burning desire to stay in it. And it was like I was saying earlier, that that's what I use robotics for because it does touch on so many different fields, including math and science and electrical engineering and mechanical engineering. And, and you can have a student playing with a robot and they have no clue what they're doing. And, and then my daughter is on a first Lego league and I was sitting there with the kids and I said, OK, you're going to be the software engineer today and you're going to be the mechanical engineer today. And the kids are like, 
I don't know what that is. That's building the robot, right? That's part of the mechanical part. And my daughter programming the robot, that's the software part. And they're like, Oh, okay. So just like Rochelle said, you've got them playing first. The play transitions into the the actual, you know, area and they don't even realize they're doing it. It's a hook to get them um, engaged first, like the rockets for Rochelle. And could you say how old your daughter is, Carlotta? Because that's fascinating. She's eight. She's eight. And because she has me for a mother, she's been doing STEM since birth. Love that. So how do we educate the public on what you, you women have been contributing to STEM and why it's important to have that diverse perspective and experiences that you guys would share? Um, I think that our presence is important. I think you educate people by having conversations with individuals. One thing that I often get just from people who have stereotypes about engineers or people in STEM is you're very different than what I thought you would be. Or I've never met a person who's that funny, who's an engineer. Like you just don't fit that profile. And I think a lot of it just comes back to exposure, which is going back to even what we're saying about hidden figures. People now are seeing STEM or seeing math as maybe a a viable career because they can see what people do with it. And they can actually have a face and a character that is in that place to show them the potential. That's what we are every day. We're faces and and we're like ambassadors of, of STEM and of engineering. I'll say Shonda Rhimes' book, Year of Yes, that she released last year really helped transform my thinking about that because I used to be very selective about where I would spend my time and who I would spend it with because I felt like I had so little to give to others. But living out Making sure I say yes to any opportunity that comes my way, you know, within reason has really opened doors and it has opened doors so that I can speak about things that have happened in my past. My love for engineering, my love for black women, my love for HBCUs, talking about policy, all of those things have opened because I shifted my own mindset into realizing I'm not here for myself. I'm here for others. And I think. Very similar. Moving in non-traditional circles, like I was saying earlier, we're all technical people. We all, you know, went to graduate school. We know how to function in those areas. But, you know, breaking outside of our comfort zone is the way that we really are going to change um, the world's perspective of who we are and what we do. And it's going in those places. I think Monica probably does this the best of the three of us with her her very strong social media presence. Because if you notice on social media, she's not just talking about her research. She's not just talking about what she does as a technical professional. She talks about what she saw on reality TV last night mm-hmm. or what's going on in politics, etc. And I think that's how we have to do it. We have to start moving in those circles that are not the ones that we're traditionally expected to be in. But you know what? That requires that you're really vulnerable, vulnerable as well. And I think that's something that is scary um, because I am over, you know, 50 people and they could kind of say, well, my department chair is not very serious. Like, why is she tweeting about the new edition story? You know, she should grade papers or she should write my policy document. But I have to consciously say that I want to represent what I do in a very authentic way. And I'm, I'm going to pull down that mask and I'm going to let people see that I am a real person with real feelings and if there are consequences that are negative, you know, I'm willing to to move forward with that. Speaking on vulnerability and, you know, uncovering that mask is why a lot of us are afraid to have that public social media presence because we've been told that we have to be a hundred times better and ten times smarter. So it's how do I put this out for the world to see without letting people think any less of me. Like I'm already fighting and I'm already struggling for people to take me seriously. You know, I have a ratchet side. I don't want y'all to see that. So you know what? I'm going to keep my page private. But like Monica said, like we have to get into that mind frame of being authentic, our authentic selves and then letting the world see that. Right. I think Rochelle is right. We do a lot of code switching in our professional career um, so that they don't ever see the real true you, you know, living in two worlds is what they call it. And so because of that, if I'm on social media and I'm sharing that I watched Real Housewives of Atlanta last night, someone from my job might go, oh, my goodness, clutch my pearls. You watch that? I thought you were an intellectual, you know, and we're so afraid for someone to see that other side of us and then take that as, well, then she's not serious about her technical career. You know, she can't possibly have both. 
Yeah. And I'll tell you a strategy that I engaged in when I was interviewing for my current position. I had a blog and I was very active on social media. So I went into my interview and I showed my potential employees what I did. I said, follow me on my blog. You can follow me on Twitter, direct message me and you know, this is me. And I still got the job. Like I'm saying, I, I talked to an associate dean who uh, who was in charge of hiring me, as well as my dean, who is my direct supervisor. And I have been very transparent. And because I was transparent prior to getting this job, I noticed that people celebrate me because I am so open on social media and on Twitter. And I do have many of my faculty and staff who follow me or they have conversations with me on Twitter if I put up a a quote or if I talk about something. Um, So it's worked amazingly well, but I could see how that strategy could have gone in a very different direction. Yes love for us to maybe talk about what's next for the world's hidden figures, right? How do we continue this conversation after this award season and this movie has passed? I'll give an example. So my line sisters and I are about to celebrate our 15th Deltaversary. Shout out to Ada Kappa chapter at Spelman College. But a lot of us were STEM majors and we're all still very close to this day. And one of the things that we plan on doing for our anniversary is a service project. And so we've been like thinking like, what do we want to do? What impact do we want to have in the Atlanta community? And we want to have a panel discussion, go into one of the girls, you know, one of the schools in Atlanta and meet with girls and just tell them all of our stories. And so that's one thing that we plan to do. And it won't even take place until October. And the very question that was asked was, you know, is it his, his, his hidden figure still going to be relevant in October? And my response was, well, we're doing this to make it continue to be relevant in October and for years to come. So it's really about going into your communities and figuring out how do you make a difference right there. And I think it's our responsibility, like Rochelle said, to keep the conversation going. I think something we can all do is, although we don't have a company, a marketing company right now, starting even a marketing campaign on social media. Um, it's Black History Month. So make every month Black History Month by starting something on social media, like a hashtag where all of us start posting. Um, I, I am here in Indiana. I'm working as an electrical engineer. Rochelle is in Texas. She's working as a researcher. And we start putting some of these hidden figures out there on social media, post one a day or two a day so that we actually get our faces out there so that even though we're spread out everywhere, there becomes a collective place where we can all be seen. And I think it's our responsibility, like Rochelle said, to keep the conversation going. I think something we can all do is, although we don't have a company, a marketing company right now, starting even a marketing campaign on social media. Um, it's Black History Month. So make every month Black History Month by starting something on social media, like a hashtag where all of us start posting. Um, I, I am here in Indiana. I'm working as an electrical engineer. Rochelle is in Texas. She's working as a researcher. And we start putting some of these hidden figures out there on social media, post one a day or two a day so that we actually get our faces out there so that even though we're spread out everywhere, there becomes a collective place where we can all be seen. What's the hashtag? I think Monica proposed visible figures. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true because we're just hidden because, I mean, it's all hidden. Being hidden is all in the eyes of the person who is saying that we're hidden. And I think that we as, as professionals in STEM think that we are very visible and we know people who are very visible. It's just a matter of um, connecting them to the larger world. But going back to your question, too, I think some ways that we can engage are to um, really work on our leadership, even talk a little bit about the times that we're in with a new presidential administration. We need to get out of our comfort zones and start thinking about translating who we are from STEM into other arenas. Um, for example, there's a guy who I know who's running for the mayor to be a mayor of Cincinnati. And he is an engineer. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. That's a way to somehow transcend um, the boundaries of, of engineering, but go into business, go into politics. I think that we also need to recognize that we need to communicate information to other people. So the lessons that we have learned during our lifetime and our careers, we need to pass on to other people so that they can build upon that. Also, and just highlighting what Carlotta said earlier and just Stephen, what I've told you, you know, in the next few years, I want to have a media company. I want to be the one who's on ABC or NBC or doing a biopic about some of the the women or some of the people in STEM. You know, why don't we have unsung 
people in STEM in the same way that you see that on TV one. You know, we have so many stories to tell during our lifetime, and we need to continue to tell those every week, every year, you know, until, you know, we we leave this earth. So it's time to start and to put our resources together. Maybe we should do a GoFundMe page. What do you think? I'm all for it. How can we build community around this? What are some ideas around, you know, for, for you as well as for, for other women in STEM that are listening to this this conversation, how could they begin to build community around this initiative, around these ideas that we've discussed? So something I would build on, thinking about what I had suggested earlier about starting the hashtag and posting photos of us and what we all do is making those connections. Because sometimes with us being so isolated, there's potential collaborators out there and people beyond just engineering who we could possibly work with, but we don't even know we're out there and we don't even know that we exist. So coming up with some kind of way for us all to come together so that we can finally connect with that Tyler Perry or that Ava DuVernay or, and, and pitch to them our story or our idea. Right now, I just don't think they know. One of the things I do a lot with is first robotics. And uh, several years ago, Dean came and met um, Will I Am at, at some Hollywood party. And he told him about robotics and about STEM and how can we make it loud to get it outside. And so he brought Will I Am into the first robotics community and taught him how to build a robot and how to compete. And that was his way of trying to transition some of the technical things we do into that Hollywood arena. And we just have to make more of those types of connections so that it becomes ubiquitous. You know, engineering and STEM is ubiquitous with being a celebrity or a movie star or something like that. I think we also need to engage in some types of master classes too. I just saw something on Facebook where all of these famous people are offering master classes, maybe for $90 for like a five hour session or something like that. But we need to engage in that lifelong learning so that we can begin to know new, um, obtain new content, like learn new content. Because right now we are so busy, but we don't know what we don't know sometimes. So where do we get that information? How do we really educate each other in that spirit of community? Ladies, thank you so very much. This has been an amazing conversation. And as as Monica suggested, let's begin to use the hashtag visible figures to stir up this conversation, keep this conversation going. And, you know, let's let's see what happens from here. I I really appreciate you being so open and transparent and honest about your thoughts um, around the movie and around what how this translates to real life. And I'm so excited to continue to monitor your careers. So thank you so very much. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Today's special episode of the Trailblazers podcast was sponsored by the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network. That reminds us that there is no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders we've been waiting for, the curators of the change we're seeking to see. To learn more about groundbreaking work of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, visit tbpod.com slash achievement. Listen, I just wanted to say thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to quickly bring awareness to another very special episode that goes live tomorrow, Tuesday, February 28th. I invite you to join us as we celebrate the Trailblazers podcast's very first birthday. We're going to be highlighting the best moments from our first year's 53 guest interviews. It's going to be an epic episode. You won't want to miss, you know, what we have in store. So go ahead and go over to tvpod.com slash celebrate right now to help us promote and share the episode. That said, if today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have had you here. We encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app or head on over to tvpod.com, browse through some of our past episodes and keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content especially, please continue to share and invite your friends and family and colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might inspire them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that's going to have generational impact for many others both now and well into the future again don't miss any of our episodes new episodes are published each and every monday morning at 5 a.m eastern trailblazers jump off this episode today go find a way to rise above go way beyond and keep blazing your trail cheers